I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. By the time um, we had nightfall, there was a big orange glow over the, um, over the mountain. We arrived on Saturday evening blissfully unaware that we were going to be evacuated as soon as we stepped outside of the airport. It, it almost feels like it's not real. Being in imminent danger of being burned to death, it, it, didn't, re- it didn't really feel real. Over the past week, wildfires have swept across parts of Greece on both the mainland and several Greek islands. It's resulted in the biggest rescue effort in the country's history, with over 20,000 people evacuated, many of them British tourists. One woman had to walk for 11 kilometres in, you know, 40 degrees Celsius in order to to be able to reach safety. Others spent the night sleeping on the airport floor. Everyone slept on the floor last night. Myself, I I got about 30 minutes sleep. We arrived about 17 hours ago at Rhodes Airport and there's about two to three hundred people all waiting for one, one flight. Whenever we see extreme weather events, like the deadly heat wave and the wildfires in Greece, there's always one question that hangs in the air. Is this a sign of global warming? Is there a direct line between the tragedy in Greece and the climate crisis? It's not always an easy question to answer, but after new research was published this week, it's just become a lot easier. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Greece is burning. Is climate change to blame? I'm Daphne Tolles. I'm a Greek freelance producer, documentary filmmaker... And journalist. And Daphne, we're speaking to you on Tuesday morning. Where are you right now? So now I am on the island of Evia, which is Greece's second biggest island, covering the wildfires here 
There's a major fire front that started on Sunday night. This fire is near smaller villages and it's devouring trees and green areas on the island. It's a mountainous region where the fire is, so firefighters have been tackling the blaze by land, but also aircrafts. I've been hearing Canadair aircrafts since this morning, trying to basically reach the area and drop water to contain the fire, which is still ongoing. It's one of the major fronts that we've had here in Greece. The other ones were in western of Athens and the other one on east of Athens. And of course, there's a fire in Rhodes. And we also had a major fire on the island of Corfu. So basically, Corfu and Rhodes, very touristic, very popular islands. And this is where also chaos broke out last weekend. When the fires actually reached one of these areas with multiple hotels and thousands of people had to flee and evacuate. And Daphne, you're talking to us from somewhere safe right now, but I know you've been out covering the fires. Just describe what they look like and what it feels like when you're close. It's really not easy to convey it. The sound of fire is just, it's just devastating. You can't recreate it or reproduce it. You have to see it and feel it and hear it at the same time. So there's the smell and the smoke, there's the heat that's coming and there's this terrifying sound. It's coming like from the earth and roaring in a way, the crackling sound of fire that we know from the fireplace, but multiply this thousands and thousands of times. Your eyes will pan from left to right when you're looking at a a mountainous area and you just see it, this deep orange color that changes and then particles of course that come in through your nose through your mouth through your eyes your eyes dry up your throat and the smell which lingers on and you carry it for many hours sometimes days on your back on your clothes on your car on your hair of course even if you wash it off this smell kind of stays on for some for some time the burning smell Daphne, it sounds horrific, and I know you've been covering this for days now, and I, you know, I can't imagine how awful that's been. I know you've also been speaking to some of the people who've had to flee, some of the holidaymakers, some of the locals. What have they been telling you? When I spoke to a couple of families that saw the flames really right up front their door, and they were fighting them with whatever means they had, they were thinking, should I leave and safeguard my life, or do I have to stay and fight? Some people told me this is adrenaline that kicks in and somehow you think that you can't just leave because you you know that you might not find your house and your belongings and everything when you return. We have wildfires every year, every summer. So at some point, another community, another town will have been impacted by these fires. People know and people are scared of this and thinking, when will this fire reach me? I mean, it just sounds devastating. What about the chaos for the holidaymakers? I know you've been speaking to some of them too. I spoke to a young woman who was here on the island of Rhodes. She had planned this with her boyfriend and they were here. And then suddenly they received this alert on their phone. With less than an hour, they had to leave and leave everything behind. 
they said that uh, we just took our bag, our belongings, and then just went out as everyone else was saying, leave, leave, leave. So they left and they started walking towards the seat and then following basically the crowd. And you must have seen also some footage as well from people walking, showing, you know, people walking with a swimsuit. They left wearing just the swimsuit and their flip-flops. She was taken by a, some Greek family, gave her and her boyfriend some accommodation to stay, which I've seen that is happening. Like some Greek families around, they were hosting people. Just inviting them into their homes. In their homes, yes. Many people, again, that I've seen saying, oh, the locals went out of their way to help us and assist us. We've yeah. had people bringing us food. We've had people bringing us towels, sleeping bags, local communities gathering supplies. They were taken to closed stadiums, to schools. So as emergency shelters, they just took people into the stadium? Yes, yes. Uh, one of the mayors of the island said that we had to evacuate nearly 2,500 people uh, two days ago, and they brought them to the town of Corfu, and 1,000 were brought to a local municipal theatre and a closed stadium. They opened the supermarket at 2 a.m. in the morning, and they took, for free of course, water and croissants. And I'm like, how do you call someone at 2 a.m. in the morning yeah. and tell them, can you open the supermarket? They said, we were called by the municipal authorities here, and this is our policy, and we all, always do it in case there's any emergency. And they even went out to say, we don't want any publicity, so please don't ask me to go on camera on this or anything. We just wanted to assist because we have so many tourists and so many visitors here. So this, this is the least we can do. Obviously, Greece does get wildfires almost every year, and almost every year the government ends up apologising for not doing enough. Every year they say we will do, the things will be better, nothing. Every summer the same, the same, every summer. We lost everything, our fields, our homes, it's so sad. What to, what to say? What to say? Do you think they should have been better prepared? Better prepared, yes, in clearing the land that you can clear over the winter, so anything that can catch fire in the in the summer. So all the municipal, local authorities doing their own part. They've increased resources, but when you are having all these fires at the same time across the country, imagine how difficult it is to dispatch all these firefighters all across regions that are not easily accessible. Yeah, you need to have a better local management. So better mapping of these areas that are at high risk of fire, policing in case for any potential arsonist or negligent person who wants to burn something in the summer. The climate crisis and protection minister said he will be increasing the fines for everyone, anyone found doing these illegal activities in high risk areas when there is a risk of fire. And Daphne, do we know how these fires started yet? I do not want to speculate. I'm just hearing what the officials are saying. The fire service spokesperson tell me that we've seen evidence or we have some indication that there is a human factor at play in some of the fires and they will be investigated. However, last week they also arrested someone 
brought him in for questioning, actually, and then it turned out that he wasn't responsible for this, so they released him. And Daphne, I mean, just finally, this year in particular, it's happened with a backdrop of a huge heat wave that has struck a lot of Europe. And how much do we think that's contributed? I mean, does it start to feel like Greece is almost on the forefront now of climate change? Greece is part of the Mediterranean hotspot that is at the forefront of this climate crisis. And this is the third heat wave. So we've had back-to-back heat waves. We've had the Acropolis close during the middle of the day. On Sunday, we had the hottest day of the year. It was actually recorded 46 degrees. This is unthinkable, I mean, for Greece. Coming up, as Greece bakes in a deadly heat wave and wildfires rage across the country, can we prove it's the result of climate change? That's in just a moment. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Adam Vaughan, and I'm the environment editor at The Times. Adam, we've had weeks now of a massive heat wave, unlike anything Europe seems to have seen for quite some time. We now have wildfires kicking off uh, around Greece in particular. At times like this, everyone does have 
one big question, and that's, you know, is this a freak weather event or is this somehow a sign of climate change? Is this global warming happening right now? And the answer to that is that, yes, it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and yes, it does get hot in the Southern Mediterranean. However, what we're seeing is very much of a piece, climate scientists tell us, of what they were expecting as we've warmed the world. In terms of pinning individual events on climate change and saying this was climate change, actually what's interesting is about in the last decade or so, maybe this field of attribution science of trying to detect that sort of fingerprint mm. has got a lot more sophisticated and a lot faster. So this week we, you know, there was a study that's just come out and it was already told us that the Southern European heat wave would have been almost impossible without climate change. So we can't say that it was climate change, but we can say that it was made more likely by climate change. Right. And how have they done that study? How are they able to attribute weather like this to a pattern of climate change? Sure. So there's a researcher called Freddie Otto at Imperial College London, and she is part of a international project of basically scientists doing volunteering in their spare time called the World Weather Attribution Project. It's all effectively done in computer models. So mm. what happens is they look at an event. So in this case, the Southern European heat wave, they took a sort of rough rectangle that more or less stretches from Greece to Spain up to a sort of southern France-ish. And they looked at seven days in July and they looked at the average daily maximum temperatures in that region. And then what they did is they basically model, using climate models, they model the world with climate change as it were and what the model spits out in terms of what it thinks the temperatures would be like over those seven days. And then they model the world without the 1.2 degrees that we have warmed the world since the Industrial Revolution. And basically the, the difference between those is how they can say it's X times more likely. So, for example, the 40 degree heat wave in the UK last year, that was found to be made 10 times more likely. And that's based on looking at the difference between those two worlds. Ah, so 10 times more likely now that we've had climate change than it would have been in a world without. Exactly. And is, is that sort of a, a study accepted by the scientific community? So the speed at which they're doing these, it means that by definition, it's not peer-reviewed in terms of the initial bit. What's important to say is a lot of the previous studies then go on to be peer-reviewed and appear in journals. So this modelling approach is recognised and fairly uncontentious amongst other researchers. You said that, you know, in the past, they've been able to say our heat wave here was 10 times more likely because of climate change. What have they found with what's been happening in Europe over the last few weeks? Yeah, so they looked at um, southern Europe, China and the US. In China, they found it made the heat that we've been seeing there and there's been some crazy temperatures, sort of 45 degrees. And they, they found that the heat wave there had been made 50 times more likely by climate change. With southern Europe and with the States, they found the numbers ran effectively ran to infinity. So they basically, they don't get a sort of X times more likely because the numbers just run too high. So they wow. they basically say it's not possible. So they, that's where they get this virtually impossible language from. So they are saying that you, you can't recreate it effectively in the models without the climate change factored in. And that's in America. So in America, you wouldn't have this extreme heat. In no normal natural world would yeah. it occur without climate change. Yeah, without the way in which we've changed the Earth, the heat waves we had in Southern Europe and the States just couldn't, they can't simulate that they would happen given based on what's happened in the past. 
what the power, I think, of these studies now is they do them so quickly while it's all still on our minds. Often, you know, the media, we are, <laughs> we get, you know, we've got very short attention spans. And, you yeah. know, if something, if someone comes around and says, oh, three months later, this heat wave was to do with climate change, then we've all moved on and forgotten. But they're now doing them so quickly. So, you know, while people are still coming back to Gatwick and Heathrow and saying, look, I had this terrible experience running away from a heat wave or whatever. So, you know, it, yeah. I think that's the power of it is the speed of it now. And people are, are being told that it's climate change while they're still experiencing it. Yeah. And Adam, you said that you know, with heat waves now, it seems so obvious scientists have just accepted that with heat waves, that is climate change, the link is there. Is it the same with these wildfires in Greece? Is there a direct line between the heat wave and, and the wildfires? Can you say that the wildfires are also caused by climate change? So we've... Wildfires, it's a lot more complex for these attribution studies. So there's so many factors that can go into playing a role in terms of how conducive the weather is for a fire in terms of, you know, the humidity, the temperature, the wind, how dry the soil is. So there's so many factors. So when Otto and her colleagues tried to do a study a few years ago, particularly sort of apocalyptic looking Australian bushfires, At the time, they acknowledged that it was difficult to draw the link. Yeah. They did find a link, but it's much more complex and there's a lot more factors at play. You've also, you know, obviously got the role of ignition. And generally speaking, certainly we don't know what caused this one in roads, but by and large, often these ignition for wildfires is linked to humans in some way or another. It's very rare that it's natural causes like lightning. So this may have been arson, this may have been someone being careless with a naked flame, we don't know. But so there's also that element of as well, which makes it hard to sort of then go, it was X times more likely because of the role of ignition. Um, So yeah, it's it's more complex. However, we can say that, that there are studies that have been published in scientific journals showing that there is a trend, a long term trend of more fire weather that's conducive to wildfires in the Mediterranean particularly. So you can't attribute the exact cause of the fire. It could be arsenic. But can you say something about the way it spreads and, you know, the way these wildfires, you know, seem to have been accelerated and exacerbated by the heat wave that they've happened in? So I was talking to Thomas Smith at the London School of Economics about the Rhodes wildfire. And it, funny enough, it's a region I was... In not that long ago, so I've got a fairly good picture of it. Mm. It's this sort of very mountainous, hilly region with a lot of vegetation in the middle of the island. It's you know kind of characterised by hairpin type, you know, yeah. roads sort of zigzagging down the side. And very green, but also with sort of scrub. Which yeah, is exactly. Quite scrubby in places. Yeah, very dry. When I went, it was very dry. Anyway, the fire sort of started up in that hilly area last Tuesday, and at the time, it stayed pretty small. It looked like it was probably going to be confined. And then on Saturday, what happened was the wind picked up and you had this really persistent northwesterly winds, which basically blew it down to the coast and just fanned it. Tom Smith was saying that what was striking about it was the speed of it. You cover this huge distance in about 10 hours. Is that, though, because of the geography of the island? Or, you know, can we say, is there anything there that sort of indicates this is partly because of climate change, partly because of the heat wave? So I asked some Greek and British scientists whether, you know, you could pin that individual wildfire on climate change. They said it was too early. It was the short version of their answers. So at the moment, all we can really say is it was hot, it was windy. We can't really at this point say that one wildfire was climate change. We can say that there's a longer term trend 
of more weather that is conducive to fires in the Mediterranean over the last few decades. Just as we're watching these wildfires, you know, kicking off around bits of Europe, we're watching holidaymakers come back to Gatwick, as you said, you know, having experienced them. There is an irony that politicians in this country seem to be rowing back on policy around climate change. You know, people pointed out the front page of The Times, for example, which on one side talked about Rishi Sunak wanting to row back on climate change. And right next to it was a picture of the wildfires in Greece and holidaymakers having to run from them. Climate scientists who are doing these studies, doing these reports, sort of seeing the connections, you know, how do they begin to engage with both the public and policymakers around this? I mean, yeah, I got a lot of uh, app messages in my Twitter feed about the, for that front page, uh, about the contrast. I can um, imagine. In, in terms of the scientists, I mean, they obviously tend to prefer, by and large, to stick to the science and not sort of talk about policy. However, what they have been saying this summer is just, this is all a reminder of what happens if we keep burning fossil fuels and we keep deforesting large parts of the world and increasing carbon emissions. They're just pointing out the sort of basic facts of, you know, roughly speaking, global carbon emissions need to more or less halve by the end of this decade if we're going to stick to 1.5 degrees of warming, which is what's the level that countries have agreed to under the Paris Agreement to hold temperatures to. And they point out that emissions are still rising. Mm. You know, emissions rose last year. They're probably going to rise this year is the expectation. We're clearly on the wrong path, I think, is the sort of message that's been coming through from scientists. In terms of the UK and what's going on with green politics at the moment, so, you know, there was this by-election in Uxbridge and the, the Conservatives narrowly held on. I'm humbled and proud to be elected as the MP for the area in which I was born, raised and built a family in. And to represent my home is a huge honour. And they are sort of crediting that to campaigning against the expansion of London's clean air zone next month, the ULES. One message that's been coming from those, those front doors has been absolute opposition to the expansion of ULES into this community. Sadiq Khan, after ignoring this community, now needs to listen because I wasn't expected to win this election, but the people of Axbridge and South Rysip have elected me. Despite the fact that it's only one in ten cars that's going to be affected and it's like the most polluting cars, it's like really quite old mm. cars by and large, clearly some people are unhappy with it. However, what's happened is then that's somehow been extrapolated into a national backlash against all green policies <laughs> so we don't i think this is it's important to say that you know at the moment the government's not actually announced any actual policy changes there's just a lot of noise about ooh, this might happen to the 2030 ban on new petrol and diesel car sales or ooh, this might happen to rules around energy efficiency for landlords so there's been sort of various policies that have been name checked it's not clear yet whether the government will actually follow through with any changes in terms of watering down the green agenda. Last week, um, a very highly respected British climate scientist, Professor Sir Bob Watson, this is the man who used to be the, the head of the UN climate body. He advises governments both here in, in Britain and in America. He said something which I think alarmed a lot of people. He, he came out and said that the world will miss the 1.5 degree warming target. I think most people fear that if we give up on the 1.5, which I do not believe we will achieve, in fact, I'm very pessimistic about achieving even two, but if we allow the target to become looser and looser, 
higher and higher. Governments will do even less in the future. We need to try and hold governments to start to act sensibly now and reduce emissions. But even governments with a really good target like the United Kingdom don't have the policies in place, don't have the financing in place to reach those goals. Is it too late for us now? Is it too late to change course? So it's interesting that Bob came out of this because there's been a sort of almost a taboo in recent years in government, science and policy circles of like not saying that 1.5 is out of reach. The sort of mantra when the UK was hosting COP26 in Glasgow was keep 1.5 alive. And, you know, it's still, there was various metaphors of how far it was within grasps, reaches, et cetera, whether it was on a, you know, life support, et cetera, lots of medical analogies. And so there's generally been a sort of imperative to sort of keep saying it's possible. You know, I mentioned that to keep to 1.5 degrees, you need to more or less halve emissions by the end of the decade. I think because it's becoming so increasingly clear, that's going to be almost impossible barring some sort of Herculean, incredible pivot by governments. Mm. I think that is why we're now starting to see public figures speaking out about this. You know, I was talking to Bob and he was saying he's very sceptical even the sort of weaker Paris Agreement goal of well below two degrees will be met. Um, and all the sort of, you look at the various different analyses of where we'll end up in terms of where are, in terms of future temperatures. And it, they generally suggest we're around on for about maybe two and a half, perhaps three degrees of warming. So you can see why they're saying this is looking increasingly hard to yeah. do. I guess the sort of kicker to it all is it doesn't mean a case for fatalism. It's not like these are cliff edges. You don't go over 1.5 degrees and then we all burn. You know, it's you go over 1.5 degrees and as societies you try to limit the warming as much as possible beyond that. So, yeah, I think it's not a, it's certainly not a cause, a reason to give up or, you know, party like it's 1999 and <laughs> stop trying to do anything about bringing down emissions. It's probably the opposite. If anything, I mean, you would hope it would be a catalyst for doubling down, right? And saying, okay, we're clearly on the wrong path. Let's get on the right path. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, freelance journalist Daphne Tollis and environment editor for The Times, Adam Vaughan. This episode was produced by Sam Chantarasak and Taryn Siegel. The executive producers were James Shield and Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.